It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 790 for the 29th of April, 2022. This week, most routers intended for home and small office use have four ports. If that's not enough, you can add more with a hub or a switch. What's the difference and how much do these things cost? Let's take a look. In short circuits, password managers are essential and LastPass offers a family plan that gives up to six family members their own separate accounts and the ability to share information between members when desired. And the most difficult part might be convincing people to use it. The Vivaldi web browser, which is based on Chrome, has some improved security features that I appreciate, and you may too. Like nearly all modern browsers, Vivaldi gives users control over cookies, trackers, and ads, but Vivaldi now also reports results. And check out 20 years ago, only on the website. Video subsystems have changed a lot since 2002. Today's low-end graphics subsystems have two to four gigabytes of memory. In 2002, top-end systems had a lot less. Home networks are increasingly complex. Doorbells and security systems are on the network. Baby monitors and refrigerators have joined printers and media servers. Many of the devices are connected via Wi-Fi, but sometimes a wired Ethernet connection is better. As a result, you might run out of available Ethernet ports on the router. Then what? The modem will generally have just a single Ethernet port. That was sufficient in the early days when we had just one computer and it was the only thing in the house that needed an internet connection. Times change and some modems now include a built-in Wi-Fi router with four ethernet ports. Most standalone Wi-Fi routers have just four ethernet ports, but some do have more. The Archer AX6000 router from TP-Link has eight, and that was my choice the last time I had to replace a router, more for its other features than the extra Ethernet ports. In fact, most of the time, only three ports are in use, one for my computer, one for my wife's office, and one to a printer. There's also one port with a cable, but it's not attached to anything on the other side. It's just a spare. Occasionally, I have used that spare connection and had a fifth wired device connected. So clearly having eight ports wasn't essential for my needs. What was more important is that this model supports Wi-Fi 6. That's the coming standard, so it'll be ready for new devices. Smart televisions and streaming devices often use Wi-Fi connections, but you might prefer a wired connection to achieve better speed. Service will be adequate for at least 4K streaming if you have a good Wi-Fi router, sufficient bandwidth from your internet provider, and the television is close enough. But if you decide to use a wired connection, adding a television or two could easily use all the available Ethernet ports. Likewise, printers. Perhaps you have a monochrome printer and a color printer, because most of the documents you print don't need to use the expensive toner or inks in the color printer. And there are other possibilities that could exhaust the router's supply of Ethernet ports. We've already seen this kind of problem with USB ports. 
Computers have just a few, and it's easy to run out of available USB ports on the computer. The easy answer is to install one or more USB hubs. Connections on my computer include the usual mouse and keyboard, of course, along with a DVD player, a Blu-ray burner, the audio sound system used for recording this podcast, two scanners, external discs, backup devices, and more. As a result, I have added a 10-port USB hub and a second 4-port hub, so I have a total of 13 additional USB ports. Only two are unused. Increasingly, this is going to be an issue for Ethernet ports, and there are three possible options for adding more, but only two are reasonable solutions for most people. First, and most expensive, you could add a second router that's connected to your primary router by wire and is located at a distant location. Besides providing more Ethernet ports, this option offers stronger signals in areas of the house that might not be well served by the primary router. But those extra Ethernet ports? Yeah, they're going to be distant too. If you need better coverage throughout the house, add access points or install a mesh system. The other two options are far less expensive and much easier to implement. Install a hub or a switch. Hubs and switches resemble each other on the outside. The difference is what happens inside the plastic case. Hubs are the least expensive choice and offer the least performance. Switches cost only a little more than hubs and perform much better. Hubs and switches both allow users to connect multiple devices to a single Ethernet port on the router, but hubs lack the intelligence to pass traffic to specific devices. All traffic on a hub will flow to every device connected to the hub. This isn't usually a big deal if you have only four ports on the hub, but it can cause some network congestion. Hubs with 5 to 8 ports are priced around 20 bucks, so that would be the right choice if the budget for hardware is really limited. But Ethernet switches cost just 30 to 50 dollars, and some are just a dollar or two more expensive than hubs. The Nivio NRS 5GP 4-port uplink power over Ethernet gigabit network switch is a high-end device. It sells for more than $150, and it includes power over Ethernet. A much more basic Netgear 8-port gigabit Ethernet switch sells for just $22. Choosing a switch, that's my recommendation if you need to add more ports. Both hubs and switches are easy to install. All the user needs to do is connect the hub or the switch to a power source, disconnect one device from the router and plug it into the switch or hub, and connect the input cable from the switch to the newly freed socket on the router. The input for the hub or switch is often labeled link or uplink, possibly even WAN. It'll be the one socket on the hub or switch that's unlike the others. And that's all there is to it. No configuration is needed. It'll just work. And once you've connected the hub or the switch, you'll have all the extra Ethernet ports you need. At least for right now. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you 
and so does the cat. In short circuits, password managers are essential. Trying to keep track of passwords and usernames any other way is simply asking for trouble. My preference for many years has been LastPass, but there are other worthwhile competitors such as 1Password, Bitwarden, and Dashlane. So to a great extent, it's more important to have a password manager, any password manager, than it is to use any specific password manager. But LastPass has a family plan that can be used by up to six people, and that's worth looking at. That's in addition to the other features that make LastPass the ideal choice, at least for me. LastPass offers ready-made categories with templates. There's no need to use these if you don't want to, but they make organizing passwords and other information easier. A standard password template has fields for the URL, username, password, a descriptive name, a folder name, and notes. Users can also show the underlying information that identifies the field names used by the location the credentials are for. If, for example, a website uses PWD instead of password to identify the password field, the user can edit that in this location. A secure note, on the other hand, has spaces for a descriptive name, a folder name, and the note. That's all. A bank account record will have fields for a descriptive name, folder name, language, bank name, account type, routing number, account number, SWIFT code, IBAN number, PIN, branch address and phone number, and notes. The templates are well organized, but users who need a specialized template can create one. A security dashboard examines the user's passwords and reports weak passwords and reused passwords. Users can also enable multi-factor authentication, but there are better choices than what LastPass offers. The free Authy app from Twilio runs on Windows, Mac OS, and Linux, as well as Android and iOS mobile devices. The LastPass Authenticator runs only on Android and iOS mobile devices, which I consider to be a significant disadvantage. If you're working on a computer, you'd need to use your phone to log on to a site where you've enabled two-factor authentication. And if your phone is lost or stolen, well, then what? But for storing and automatically entering usernames and passwords, LastPass is hard to beat. The company offers a free plan, but it is severely limited because it can be installed on just one device, a computer, a tablet, or a phone. Anybody who has more than a single device will probably find the free plan to be too restrictive. Individual plans cost $36 a year, so about $0.10 cents a day, and passwords will be synchronized across multiple devices. Users can share access to specific sets of credentials with trusted individuals, even without a family plan. The LastPass family plan offers significant advantages at a reasonable cost, $48 a year for up to six users. So that's around 13 cents a day. The hardest part of using the family plan may be convincing the family to use it. Every member of the family plan has their own sub-account, and users see only their own passwords unless another family member shares a password with them. 
equally valuable. Each member has a one gigabyte encrypted vault where bits of important information can be stored. LastPass is easy to use, and as I said, the most difficult part of subscribing to the family plan might be convincing the family to use it. But give it a try. The family plan is certainly well worth the cost if your family consists of just two people who want to use it. The family plan at $48 per year versus two individual plans at $72 a year. And of course, the savings are even more dramatic for larger families. The Vivaldi web browser, which is based on Chrome, has added some improved security features that I appreciate. You may too. Except for Firefox and Apple's Safari, virtually all browsers have a Chrome foundation. Both Firefox and Vivaldi highlight privacy and security as important functions of their products. The latest feature added to Vivaldi appears when a new tab is opened. You'll see a quick summary that shows how many trackers and ads the browser has blocked. The statistics are maintained until the user manually resets the log. Clicking the More Information link offers a panel that shows two views that list trackers and ads blocked per address or domain. The tracker blocker, as is obvious from the name, prevents web trackers from following you and collecting personal data. When the feature is enabled, trackers are blocked by relying on lists of well-known tracker URLs and stopping requests to those URLs before they're even sent. Vivaldi also has a built-in ad blocker that seems to cause fewer problems than some of the third-party ad blocker extensions I've tried. The ad blocker is an extra level of protection that stifles ads not eliminated by the tracker blocker. Users can specify whether they want the tracker blocker, the tracker and ad blockers, or neither to be active. If you encounter a website that will not display content unless ads are permitted, or there's a website where you really want to see the ads, just enter an exception. Enabling both might seem like a better choice, but some websites receive no income except from ads, and you might want to consider setting exceptions for those sites unless the ads are annoying. I allow ads from news sites that have no paywall, but I block ads on the New York Times website because, after all, I pay a subscription fee. To create an exception without returning to the settings page, click the Content Blocker button. You'll find it on the left side of the address line. Then choose your preference for the site from the drop-down menu. The drop-down will also show how many trackers and ads have been blocked on that site. As with most other browsers, Vivaldi gives users control over cookies. Cookies are often useful, for example, by allowing a website to recognize the browser you're using so it can keep you logged in. If you delete all cookies and disable third-party cookies, some sites won't work properly. For example, websites you've told to remember you will no longer do so if you allow only session cookies. Security is good. It's a good selling point, too. 
all browsers have been adding security features, so you won't be wasting your time by visiting your preferred browser's settings page and examining the features that are present. Be safe. No cookies are needed for 20 years ago on the website. This week, take a look at high-end video subsystems from 2002. They were a far cry from today's low-end systems. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com. And if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>